0: Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. We know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back
1: to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Greg Whiting. He's a healer that works with people with anxiety, trauma, you know, depression, and he works mainly with business entrepreneurs and leaders. There's a lot we have in common. I'm excited to have this conversation.
2: Glad to be here, Mark. Thanks for having
1: me. What really stood out about this, and it's something that I say for everyone looking for help, right, is go with somebody that's done it themselves, right, that has been through the healing journey, that has overcome something, that has, you know, really practiced what they preach. And what stood out about your file to me was that you've, you've done that you know, both on a mental, emotional, and a physical level. Yeah.
2: You know, I find there's so much stigma around mental health. Um, And so, yeah, it's really valuable for me to share my own experience with my clients and my students so they don't feel isolated and alone in their journey. And so they can see that, you know, someone's been where they're at and they've kind of mapped a trajectory to kind of navigate and find a way to different possibilities.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know in my case, it makes me more present with my clients and it makes it that I'm not selling anything, right? Like everything I do, I believe in, and I imagine you're very much the same.
2: Yeah. I um, was on another podcast earlier today and, um, you know, she's just like, how does it feel if people, you know, think you're full of shit? And I'm like, that's fine. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I've got a story. And yeah, many medical doctors and chiropractors have told me that the healing I've experienced is impossible. And- and that's fine. If people think what I've gone through is impossible, that's their limitation. And uh, I help people not limit themselves by their you know, their their own self-imposed limitations, much less limitations of others. And I think that's what a, a lot of healing and leadership is about.
1: Absolutely. So let's just dive right into the story. Tell me about this impossible feat that you overcame.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm basically three inches taller today than I was 25 years ago. Um, and yeah, that's really tied into addressing underlying trauma patterns that have, you know, take, had taken up residence within my body. I was, you know, suffering from debilitating anxiety, depression, chronic pain tied into the scoliosis, which was unresolved trauma and, you know, in adolescence and, you know, I basically, you know, through college was just self-medicating with alcohol kind of after college realized that's just not a strategy that I want to continue to take with me. And I thought just pain meds and antidepressants were the solution. Mm-hmm. So I was you know steps away from taking that route when I was introduced to energy medicine by a friend who at the time was a massage therapist and she had offered me a massage. I was living in so much chronic pain that I did not want a massage. Physical touch was just too painful. Mm-hmm. And so she introduced me to energy medicine, which, Was something I'd never heard of, completely foreign to me. You know, at the time I had maybe started reading about meditation and mindfulness, but you know that was the extent of it. Um, But I had implicit trust with her, and I said, "Sure, you know, let's give it a try." And you know, within minutes, I realized I'd found something I didn't even know I was looking for. You know, just the the chronic holding and tension tied into my body and my spine just started to soften, right? And I was able to kind of. Find my breath in a way I didn't have access to previously. So I was like, all right, um, I'm onto something. There's something here. And, you know, over that next year, I continued to kind of experiment with her. And within a year, I started to study with a teacher. And that just started a whole journey from energy medicine to mindfulness to yoga and Ayurveda to somatic based practices to trauma and neuroscience. You know, I really was kind of investigating what, what works for me? Because I found a lot of traditional approaches to talk therapy were ill equipped to address how trauma had imprinted itself on my body. Um, you know, I think there's some pain we can't think or talk our way through. And so I was really curious how, how do I, how do I deepen this experience? Because as I had that taste, I knew, I knew stuff was starting to unravel. And so it kind of became a journey of like, being an investigative reporter, right? And just this path of inquiry to to more deeply understand these imprints of pain and their impact. And that led me to resolve a lot of that pain. So, you know, that's a 20-year journey in a snapshot. And so over that time, you know, my spine began to unravel, which I can kind of, you know, share more about that for sure.
1: Yeah. I want to dive more into the trauma piece, right? If you feel comfortable sharing, I'm wondering... Um, What that was like growing up, like what the roots of that were. You know, when I think of a scoliosis position, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, I think of like a very, you know, like a twisted kind of hunched position, right? Something I'd imagine a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of like keeping yourself small. And I think this point that you're making um, is something that's been made on this podcast a lot, which I truly believe in, is that there is a one-to-one correlate, right, between a mental or emotional pain and a physical manifestation. We're the same thing, right? The mind-body is the same thing. So I'm curious if you could start at the beginning of that, of the trauma. Yeah. Well, so
2: I find that, you know, trauma does it. The subconscious and the unconscious mind are alive and well in our physical body, right? So that stagnation of emotion is going to compromise our immune system. You know, it's going to fog our thought. It's going to be the chronic inflammation. So that's tied into like autoimmune disease, you know, and that's going to impact, you know, the cardiovascular system, you know, traumas, kind of patterns that are imprinted around alienation and isolation, which cardiovascular disease is completely tied into that, you know, blood pressure. So all these correlations between our emotional health and our physical health, you know, for me, um, I wasn't really aware of the trauma I was carrying consciously until later in life. Right. And it started to kind of surface later in life. Um, you know, I'm a queer man. And so, you know, I definitely was posturing to kind of hide parts of myself in early development, you know, but as a kid, you're just, that's all, you know, so, you know, I didn't have the framework that this is trauma. It's just me trying to get by in the world. Right. So I look at trauma as just any lived experience where we feel isolated, alone, unsupported. Um, and how that's going to, you know, catch up with us, right? That's going to kind of keep us in a fight-flight, sympathetic nervous system state, you know, that's going to, you know, keep the cardiovascular system <laughs> really struggling, you know, from a resting state. And that's going to keep us on guard, which is going to completely, you know, compromise the immune system's ability just to you know, fight off, you know, the common cold, if you will. But in terms of the scoliosis, you know, I look at our connective tissue and our fascia is what holds the bone and the tissue together, right? Connective tissue is also where we store memory and emotion, right? So, When I started to heal the imprints of trauma and I no longer felt isolated or alone or on guard or that I needed to protect myself, I was no longer scanning for danger, perceiving that there was always, you know, a monster around every corner, then that costuming of my body no longer had to hold itself in that same grip, right? Mm -hmm. So it was more the emotional balancing and then the hormonal balancing that just allowed the costuming of wounding and pain to start to dissolve, right? So now I just get to be me. And that's a big piece of the mindfulness and healing is kind of the necessary mind training to no longer orient to pain or wounding or fear, but to orient to just the truth of who we are, right? Which is which is an ever-expanding awareness, right? It's a presence. Um,
1: and so... Yeah,
2: I'm happy to dive deeper into all of that, but kind of give you a little
1: snapshot of it all. Yeah, totally. I, I really connect with that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you have, or maybe you have read um, Eckhart Tolle, where he mm-hmm. talks about like the pain body, right? And the idea of holding, exactly like what we are saying, this pain, this trauma in our body and having it not just kind of contort and dilute us, but bleed out into other people. And part of my practice around mindfulness and psychotherapy and all the somatic stuff and yoga, et cetera, et cetera, had been really separating myself from my pain body. You yep. know, I'm not sure um, you know, what your past was, but for me growing up on the East Coast, there was something where people were actually proud of how much pain they can endure. So much of the conversations were around like, oh, my life sucks, look at how I struggle, look how much I suffer. There was this weird kind of bravado to pain and coming out to Boulder, Colorado, which is, a, you know, I'm sure you know that, it's like a center for healing right? And alternative medicine, it's a completely different culture where it's about how can we be present? How can we heal? How can we, you know, have ease and joy and and light in our life um, and not struggle? I wonder if you have a version of that story, what it was like for you to dissociate and and disconnect from the pain body.
2: Yeah. You know, I love the image of like a bird flying into a window. I mean, not just to illustrate this, (laughs) not that image itself, but know the bird drops to the ground and you think it's dead but it's just in shock right it's in it's this total freeze state and yeah healing is to thaw out that freeze state so eventually the bird starts to twitch and eventually it'll fly off right um but yeah i think there's a lot of identification with wounding which you're speaking into where then we start to hold on to that freeze response as if it's a source of pride As as if it's a source of who we are. So we start to conflate who we are with our wounds, with our survival strategies. And then we really lose a a connection to our essential nature, right? So, yeah, I think for me, healing has been so much like soft and warm, right? Warming up and softening into myself. Um, And... You know, that takes time and there's and recognizing that, yeah, t- strategies are not identity, right? Because mm-hmm. the world is still, you know, sometimes an unfriendly place. So I still may need to take on some hard and cold protective strategies from time to time, but I don't want to be wearing them 24-7, right? When I'm in the yeah, safety of my home, right? And I'm when I'm with, you know, in meaningful relationships where there's, you know, built ar- agreements of trust and connection and you know certain boundaries of respect then that all that armor can come off right um and so it's really understanding that yeah these strategies are not who we are and then the strategies can you know they're accessible when we need them but um yeah we're not we're not carrying them with
1: us mm-hmm. yeah so you talked about that first energy healing session that you had, right? Where you got this message of, whoa, there's something here. And there's something here that I've never even knew existed. Can you illustrate that a little bit? What that felt like? What that moment was like? how do you know that it was working? You know, what did, what'd you feel when you were doing that?
2: Yeah. I mean, that first session, it was literally just my ability to catch my breath in a way I hadn't before. And, you know, I was so identified with this death grip of control with this hard, hard, hard armoring. So just feeling, you know, it was probably only like, you know, 1% of the armoring I was carrying started to soften, but that 1% was sizable enough that I was like, wow, that's a, a remarkable shift, which, you know, I hadn't accessed in, you know, any other, you know, at that point, you know, my breadcrumbs to healing were, yeah, I probably had read some books on from Eckhart Tolle and, Um, for me, it was like nature and live music, but otherwise there was no spiritual practice or healing practice that gave me a glimpse of that. But I love the imagery of like the body, mind, and spirit, like as a symphony orchestra. Mm. And when we're in health, every muscle, every memory, every emotion, thought, hormone, organ, endocrine is all in this harmonic resonance. And every part is communicating with every other part. So there's this musicality of being, there's this resonance, and that's health, right? And then, you know, stress, trauma, intergenerational, hereditary patterns, environmental influences start to short-circuit the nervous system, and that communication starts to break down. We start to create noise. So, as much as I help people with trauma, I don't really spend much time focusing on trauma. I'm actually just helping people. Break up the noise, which is connecting to that innate wisdom that heals a paper cut. Right. And innate wisdom is a term from chiropractic. You know, it's the healing mechanism that sends the platelets and the proteins and orchestrates all these biochemical transmissions to heal that paper cut. And what I love is that paper cut heals without us thinking about it. It's healing right now, it's healing while we're sleeping. And All we need to do is just reconnect that innate wisdom and then healing just happens. I didn't have this language then, but on some level I just knew in that first experience that I was being plugged into my innate wisdom. And that was really significant. Like it just was a tangible felt sense that, wow, there's something powerful here and that power is within me. Right? So that. Again, I didn't have like a, a vocabulary or any understanding of spirituality even at that point, but it was a bit of an awakening. Like there's, there's some deeper presence, there's some deeper intelligence or wisdom at play here, which is actually my own wisdom, uh, which i just been so disconnected to up until that point.
1: Yeah, that's really well said. And I'm also hearing you got a, a glimmer that life could be different. That this tightening, this fear, this hypervigilance that you talk about, you don't have to feel that. Yeah. Right. There's there's other ways. Things that you took for granted could actually be melted. Like you said, that little bird could get resuscitated.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, so much of that happens in relationship too, where to have that experience while I was with, you know, my friend. And I think that's the function of healing is mammals. We're social creatures, right? We're not meant to live in isolation. We're certainly not meant to heal in isolation. You know, but when we're in the trenches of trauma where we can't see the horizon, much less, you know, anyone around us, we're just in this pit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as we get out of that pit, we start to realize that we're not alone um, and we need to learn how to navigate being, you know, in this this field of possibility, being able to look at the horizon in relationship to others, which can feel pretty threatening at first because trauma has taught us how to kind of negotiate and navigate life often in isolation, because we've had wounding that's, you know, an imprints of harm in relationship to others. So it takes great courage. And it's, you know, a risk to start to lean on support and build a new template for relationship, you know, how to be with others in a way that's meaningful and in a way that's bridging support and connection and psychological safety.
1: I love that you bring that up, that there's an attachment part to this and the ability to let someone in, to let someone in an incredibly intimate space, right? Whether it be through physical touch or, or energy work or psychotherapeutic work or whatever it is, but to let someone into those deep parts of you is intense, but often, yeah, that is what heals, yeah. right? Because just like you said, the trauma is, hey, when people get that close, we get hurt. So it's yeah. rewiring that component as well.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the trauma is too much too soon. So the other piece of healing is slowing it down. So what historically was overwhelming can, you know, start to be metabolized in bite-sized pieces. So we can kind of start to sort and piece out and make sense of what historically, you know, was like just made us lose access to our upper brain and where we defaulted to kind of survival brain. So helping us kind of come back to reason and logic through connection.
1: Yeah. I've had some clients say that they feel more themselves or they feel like they just have more bandwidth, more capacity, right? Because it's not being taken up by those trauma messages or talk tracks or, or body postures that are just creating the noise, like you said.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're when we're not having to live through the default of these these knee-jerk survival strategies, there's just a lot more freedom and there's a lot more aliveness, right? And that's just we're no longer having to hide or perform parts of ourselves. So we just get to be ourselves. Yeah,
1: that's a great message. So we're gonna to move to our first commercial break here. When we come back, I want to hear more about how you decide to focus on leaders and entrepreneurs. And working with that population and bringing some of these, um, you know, physical, emotional and spiritual lessons to them. So if you're listening, if you're especially if you're in that group, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side of the break.
0: this course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark y.teachable.com. are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm sitting here with Greg Whiting and we're talking about really healing through trauma, right? Both in the body, in the attachment system, in the emotions and even spiritually and using a combination of, you know, emotional techniques, using body-based methods, uh, mindfulness practice. I mean, I agree with you. It really is a holistic path that, like you said, takes a while and develops and evolves over time.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, I I don't think there's any one way to heal. I think there are... As many ways to heal as there are people, and I'm really about a trauma-informed lens that really puts each individual kind of in the driver's seat of their own healing. Right, each of my students, each of my clients is informing their own healing path. I just have a lot of tools and resources and support that I provide so they can kind of, you know, create their own adventure, if you will. Um, but really, I'm, my my job is to follow their innate intelligence like Mm -hmm. their innate wisdom i'm not here to guide it or direct it i'm just here to help them get plugged back into it and as they do that informs the whole healing journey itself
1: yeah like you said and, and something i definitely agree with is that the body wants to heal it wants to be healthy right it wants to be aligned but it's more about I found in my work about removing the resistance rather than, you know, forcing it to heal or, or getting the perfect posture or form or any of that type of thing.
2: Yeah, we just want to clear out the distortions so the system can yeah, reimagine itself according to its own wisdom, its own intelligence.
1: So you decide to focus your practice on entrepreneurs and leaders. Can you say a little bit about that? Why you chose that population?
2: Sure. Um, you know, I think in some regards that population chose me, uh, but also just my own background. I worked in the world of, you know, the nonprofit world prior to this work. And, you know, I was made a purpose, but really lacked fulfillment. Right. My own unresolved trauma, like as it will for most of us, will catch up to us. Right. Right. And so I was already struggling with anxiety, depression, chronic pain from my scoliosis. And then just the burnout, the overwhelm ultimately led to just feeling really empty, right? So I was made of purpose, but really lacked fulfillment. And when we lose ourselves, there are no wins, right? So over the years, I just have tended to attract, you know, <laughs> that similar avatar, if you will, uh, folks that are doing really important work in the world Uh, they're very driven um, they're very passionate and they've they're really leading with a trauma response right their trauma response is maybe what's built so much of their success so part of my trauma-informed lens is we don't want to fight against a trauma response we want to understand it we want to acknowledge that it's actually a sacred guardian it's trying to protect us and at some point there's a cost payoff analysis that that trauma response that we've been leading with has maybe built some level of success, but it may also lead us to crash and burn if we don't start to develop new strategies. So yeah, over the years, that's just the audience that has just kind of gravitated towards my work. And since I've always been very purpose-driven, that's just is very much in alignment with kind of my background in activism. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm finding most folks that come to me, you know, the anxiety, the depression are usually what get them in the door. They also have some understanding that, hey, if if we work together, we're gonna to look under the hood and address the unresolved trauma, right? Because at some in our world, I think there is much more awareness now that you know the chemical imbalance isn't what's creating our mental illness, right? I don't even like to look use the word mental illness because I think there's stigma around that. I, I'd like to think of you know, the the brain chemistry or chemical imbalance that we've been treating is really just a symptom, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of treating the symptom, we want to look at the underbelly of the iceberg. And that's the unresolved trauma and, you know, the attachment piece, right? And if we heal trauma, and we develop a secure attachment, brain chemistry has a way of sorting itself out. <laughs> and anxiety and depression have a way of kind of, sorting themselves out and then people have a way of just coming back into a greater sense of wholeness right a greater sense of presence and then we're leading from the power of presence right we're not leading from this over adrenalized state of stress this pedal to the metal mindset right hustling for our own worth right um and again, we—I want to honor those trauma responses. I think a lot of great things have been built in the world from that place, but let's let's find a way to sustain it, right? I mean, I just think of all these, you know, great artists who crash and burn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how how do we how do we sustain that creative life force in a way that's more generative um, and uh, ongoing?
1: Yeah, I'm so happy you're talking about. The trauma being the fuel for so many of these startups and so many of these leaders, I see that too, right? And I use this metaphor of, you know, they're running on like kerosene or diesel, it gets you there, but it pollutes the system. It's just nasty, right? It has adverse effects. And the idea is not to stop moving, but to switch to a renewable source, you know, solar or wind or something like that, hydropower. Um, but what I see with the leaders I work with, and I'm curious what you see, is one of two things. One, either they're working so hard because they feel so worthless and they feel like if they perform, if they get all the medals, if they you know check all the boxes, they'll finally be happy. And the other one is actually extreme loneliness. I see a lot of uh, startup founders create startups quite frankly to have a family or to have friends to kind of get their social needs met and their needs of belonging met. Which just like you said, the trauma is going to catch up. And those are the ones that often that I've seen, you know, end up, unfortunately, like sleeping with a colleague, right? Or have a secret drug habit or go too hard at the company parties, right? Like those are the ones that crash and burn because they're trying to get these emotional childhood needs met in a work setting where they have power. You know, where when they are the leader, they are the CEO, they are, you know, the director, they are the founder. Um, And it often becomes quite inappropriate. And they do, they do burn. And that's yeah. how they end up, you know, at my door.
2: Yeah, I see a lot of that. And I think the burnout piece too, you know, I just this go, 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 and just never letting your foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with a client recently where they were starting to get a taste of like what it felt like to relax and then that became very threatening, right? Wow, no, relaxing doesn't feel safe because what if my whole company collapses? If I'm not just in a constant state of high alert, everything's going to fall apart, right? That's That was the belief that was running their system until over time, you know, they got a longer glimpse of that relaxation uh, before that, you know, threat, that perceived threat, you know, popped up. Um, But then they kind of looked around and noticed, actually, nothing fell apart. And actually, my business is still growing. Um, And actually, I'm actually able to lean on my team members more and my partner more because I'm not just leading from this lone wolf mindset. Um, So, wow, actually, now I can take an extended vacation that I've never let myself take. And maybe I'm not going to have to be plugged into my phone all the time. In fact, I can maybe leave my phone in the hotel while I take some excursions. Um, and wow, things still haven't fallen apart. Right. So uh, that's what I see a lot, you know, and I think of, you know, the nervous system is like the seaplane that's trying to land on water. Right. So it like touches down and then it bounces right back up, touches down, bounces right back up. So we're just slowly training the, the, the nervous system to finally land like that seaplane. And that takes time and practice until it finally, it's like, ah, okay, I can settle. Um, and you know, that's, that takes, that takes training, right. That takes practice. It doesn't just happen. Um, and yet I also find that so much of how I'm working to just help people plug back into that innate wisdom is we're creating the climate for it to happen. Um, you know, so working with the energy medicine piece, I'll actually joke with my clients and my students a lot that, you know, Hey, forget that we even worked together today. Like don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. But on a subconscious level, your system's more plugged into that innate wisdom. So you don't need to like try to analyze and figure out what we worked on today because your body's own innate wisdom is figuring it out. But then, you know, I think the mind training of mindfulness is then helping us track, you know, and notice that, Mm -hmm. oh, my company didn't fall apart when I took a few extra days off. I'm okay. You know, because the brain is always scanning for danger. The brain is always scanning for, the, the, you know, the, the next catastrophe. And so it's training the, the, the brain to actually orient towards possibility, right? Um, and, you know, that, that does require tending to, um, you know, and that's, you know, where we're kind of flipping the script to rewrite narratives that help us break through, you know, upper limits, right? And a big piece of trauma too is it kind of creates, it fragments us, right? And so I think a lot of healing is creating more of a cohesive narrative, a more cohesive through line of who we are and, you know, our place in the world. And so I feel so much of my work is helping kind of mine the gold of unresolved trauma so we can derive greater significance and and meaning in the world and kind of touching upon just this concept of purpose. So then we're not chasing purpose extrinsically, right? We're not trying to check off boxes, you know, that are extrinsically motivated. I think we lose a lot of ourselves by looking for purpose externally. And I think healing affords us the opportunity to kind of transform pain into purpose to locate that intrinsic motivation, right? What brings us to life? What animates us, you know, what inspires us? Um, and the more we can locate that, the more we can locate just the power of our own presence. And so then I think our leadership is really centering our humanity and then it's not so much what we do, but who we are and how we do it. Right. And that then we become. You know, for me, I look at being a leader as being a healing force for good, right? How do we become a healing vessel so we're not perpetuating cycles of harm from our own wounding? That's how we can reimagine the future.
1: Yeah, you're kind of breaking the chains, whether that be from your family or even from other toxic workplace environments, places where, you know, the person was an employee and they're like, oh, this is just how it is. Um, kind of breaking that culture of hazing or overwork or burnout. There, there's something incredibly powerful about that, like you said, being a healing force for change out there in the world.
2: Yeah, and you know, with my background in activism, that's that's why I'm really compelled to work with leaders. Because yeah. if we're in a leadership role, we have a lot of influence, and that's a great responsibility, right? And we can use that responsibility for good. And when we kind of center humanity within the workplace, um, that creates a whole a whole new template, right? Yeah. And I think that's the healing component. Often, you know, a healthy template wasn't modeled for us, right? So then it takes a lot of courage and resilience to develop a new template. And I think as leaders, we can, we have a great opportunity to create new templates within organizations, within teams. Um, And I I think that's starting to happen. I think there's more conversations like this taking place. And I think there's more. You know, initiatives taking place in the workplace where, you know, this is starting to to seep in.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think the movement is happening. I mean, I think fueled by the great resignation and now we have the quiet quitting movement. I think people are saying that enough is enough. They don't want to work in these toxic environments. They don't want to be in a job that they feel like takes advantage of them or they're not connected to that sees them as units, not as people. And there's all this upheaval around the old systems as they're dissolving and collapsing. Yeah.
2: And in that sense for me, like my path as an entrepreneur is really a a spiritual practice, right? It's how, how I get that much more in touch with the truth of who I am and how I, you know, break free of the limitations of my past wounding to step into and stake claim to, you know, what is actually possible. Right. and, that's a big piece of healing, you know, neuroplasticity, which first is dependent upon that psychological safety, you know, our own imagination creates the structure of our brain, Mm -hmm. which then creates the structure of our lives. So, you know, healing affords us great power to literally engineer, you know, every aspect of not only ourselves and our, our physical, mental, emotional health, but our relationships and, you know, our environment um, and when we really stake claim to that power, you know, there's so much innovation and there's so much creativity and that we can stake claim to when we're, you know, building teams, when we're, you know, building platforms. Um, and I, I, I love being around that energy and I love feeding that energy. And, you know, then it's creating a generative feedback loop.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious, can you share some from your own life of what you discovered about who you are? Because I think it's something that is said so much in, you know, messing communities and psychotherapy of like, oh, just be yourself, right? Just unlock your true potential, allow yourself to emerge, which I agree. But I always get curious of what that was like for the people that I'm talking to. What did you learn about yourself by going through this process? And and how do you live that out?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'd say question the status of arriving. There's no end point. So that's still... This is still a process of discovery for me every day. Um, But, you know, when I was managing a team of 25 people, you know, in my early days in a nonprofit, you know, I was, you know, in my early 20s in this leadership role, posturing, you know, as if I had to be somebody, right? And it's continually discovering like, oh, like, I think I need to show up in this way. But actually no, there's more space for me to just be myself. Right. So it's just edging into that experience, which, you know, and I've, you know, had this conversation with clients and students because if, if our entire world has been organized around imprints of trauma, we may not know who we are. So to tell someone just be yourself might not be a useful, you know, uh, a useful prompt. Right. So, um, You know, again, but as we are through all of these tools and practices, as we just start to align more with our innate wisdom, that starts to emerge, right? Um, You know, the conversation I was having with someone earlier today, a lot of times trauma, we've learned to center other people, right? And, you know, orbit around other people and center other people's needs, desires, and wants uh, ahead of our own to the point where we may not even know what we need or what we want or what we desire or who we are. Um, And to start to even acknowledge that can feel very overwhelming and feel very destabilizing um, because it's almost like, you know, what we've structured and how we've organized our lives is kind of more of a facade. So it's, I I wish I could say, do this, 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 and this, you know, this, this five-step process. I mean, within Prisma, the method I developed, I have seven pillars that do actually help to kind of, you know, function as drop pins on a roadmap to healing. Mm -hmm. And yet healing isn't that linear, right? And it's never a one and done. So um, as much as we can try to codify a journey, um, it's going to be unique for each of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I like Almost kind of like a little, you know, back the napkin diagnostic tool that you talked about is that if you're listening and you hear, oh, just be yourself and you get freaked out, or if you get that spike of fear, or you get the feeling of emptiness or the feeling of loneliness, there's probably trauma there, right? When you talked about this, you know, archetypal person that orients to the other, that is so unbelievably common. Right. So much focused either on a specific person that we're trying to defend against or nurture or just like the faceless masses of, oh, what's normal, what's right, what's proper, all these ideas, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Those are great indicators to start to work through some of that trauma or, you know, kind of what we said earlier, know that there is another way. Right. It might be super common, but it's not healthy or normal.
2: I agree. And and again, the the function of healing is a subversive act right so there's going to be phases of healing that are going to feel very threatening they're going to challenge the constructs of who we are and the con- that and the constructs we hold within the world um and so having you know trusted support beside us is really valuable so we we don't feel alone in that journey um and yeah it, just be yourself I think is a process of discovery. It's it's not a one and done. And I think we have an entire lifetime to let that emerge and evolve.
1: Yeah, very well said. So we're gonna move into our next commercial break here. When we come back, I wanna hear more about the Prisma Method, uh, speak directly to our listeners and give some people some takeaways if they wanna get started on this path of healing. So thanks so much if you're listening, uh, stay tuned and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break.
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back to the show. In this final segment, we like talking directly to the listeners. So, Greg, just dive right in. Can you tell us about the Prisma method and how our listeners might use that in their daily lives?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I developed Prisma primarily, again, out of my own need to heal myself. Um, And then over the years, just started to kind of teach different pieces that, you know, were I felt helping, you know, my clients and my students. And, you know, over the last five years, kind of reverse engineered all of that and kind of put it into kind of as logical and linear of a framework as possible, despite healing being pretty nonlinear. So yeah, the it starts with a trauma and neuroscience roadmap, which is delivered in an eight-week, eight-module online course. Um, and basically the first modules, the trauma foundations, just understanding what trauma is, understanding, you know, how it imprints on the nervous system through, you know, fight, flight, freeze, appease. Then the other seven modules are the seven Prisma pillars, which are the drop pins on that roadmap, uh, which basically kind of take you on this arc of transformation from pain to purpose, you know, starting with regulating the nervous system and kind of ending in impact, right? That sense of place and purpose as an emanation of being. Um, And then the GPS is kind of the somatic and mindfulness based practices. So, um, you know, people have nine months access to guided support with me where that's the mind training, where we are continuing to kind of shift identification, from pain and wounding anxiety, depression, to possibility and to presence. Um, and that's helping us just not get lost on the journey. And then the energy medicine component, you know, another nine month access to building an entire self-care foundation, uh, energy medicine um, practice. So you have a healing practice for life, which I kind of look at as like the vehicle we need to kind of heal the residue of trauma that's stored in the body, right? So energy medicine calms the cardiovascular system. It shifts us from that fight, you know, fight-flight response to that rest and digest, you know, nervous system response. Uh, and there's a marked increase in white blood cell activity. So those are like three really critical, you know, indicators uh, or you know factors that are necessary to kind of help us start to trend towards healing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, prismamethod.com is where folks can, you know, learn more about Prisma. Um, And I also work with folks one-on-one. So some people want, you know, more of that direct support and that's over another nine or 12 month journey, or I do kind of one day retreats where we can kind of front load a lot of tools and practices to give people kind of uh, a trauma-informed kind of quantum leap in their healing.
1: That's fantastic. Um, I want to hear more about the energy medicine component. How is that delivered? What is that like? Um, what does it feel like as a recipient or even as a practitioner? Can you open that up a little bit for me? Yeah. So right now through the
2: online course, the Prisma Method, uh, the I call it Prisma Energy. So that's where once a month uh, we're doing a three-hour workshop over Zoom. And so that's where I'm basically teaching an entire hands-on healing practice that mm-hmm we can apply virtually that people can learn how to practice, you know, on themselves. Um, they have immediate access to a full manual that, you know, I developed over the years that, you know, is really the foundation of kind of both the science and the spirituality of energy medicine and healing. Um, and yeah, people have an ongoing support through a Slack community. So, it's very much like peer-led support. You know, I'm sharing my wisdom, obviously, but you know, people are asking questions. You know, asking to be seen, held, and witnessed, and supported, and what they're going through, or they're just sharing useful resources that they have found, you know, helpful along the way. And so, yeah, it kind of creates all of these different aspects are designed to pair together to give folks as comprehensive and robust a healing system as possible. Um, and you know, my trauma informed lens, it's like, take what works, leave the rest behind, but I'm building an entire toolbox, you know, where you, that tool may not be relevant today, but next week or the week after it might be just right. So, um, building a vocabulary, building a toolbox. So you have a lot of healing practices and understandings kind of at your fingertips.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you this question, cause this is a issue I run into in my practice sometimes, is great information, right? A lot of tools that we know work, but I think people struggle do, using them, right? Accessing them, they struggle with the discipline, they struggle with integrating them into their lives. Um, I would say, unfortunately, sometimes trauma wins, right? And people end up back in their old habitual patterns. I'm curious how you, you know, work with that. Yeah. How, how people stay motivated um, during these nine month chunks.
2: Yeah. You know, healing is a commitment to defy odds, right? And, um, you know, it's, I think, probably not only the most important work we can do, but probably the most challenging work we can do. Um, What I find the energy medicine piece is that it's, again, why I think so many of my students and clients gravitate towards my work is they've done so much heavy lifting in, more traditional institutionalized, you know, uh, structures of healing that just have not helped move the needle. Right, mm-hmm. a lot of folks find me when they're at the end of their rope. They've tried everything under the sun and nothing's helped. Um, you know, I ha- I'm speaking with someone tomorrow that, you know, in their intake form, you know, they they want to heal, but they are at that point where they're like, wow, but nothing's really gotten me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. where I need to be. So what I find about the energy medicine is it's helping us heal on the subconscious, unconscious level. So it starts to break up those limiting beliefs and behaviors. So instead of me coaching my clients to have the discipline, it's, you know, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, I was talking to one of my students and they ha- did have resistance to practicing every day. And as much as I encourage my students to practice every day i also recognize that the trauma might be the the factor that's getting in the way of them practicing every day. so the work is going to meet each of them where they're at and so her sporadic practice started to become more frequent and it still may not be a daily practice but you know she is in uh you know she used the word once that she just felt haunted right she used to just feel haunted by her pain she no longer feels haunted by her pain right so she's gained so much more access to her upper brain of logic and reason she's no longer defaulting to that survival brain 24/7 so she has so much more faculty and capacity and resource and yeah maybe not enough to have a consistent daily practice yet but i trust that she'll she'll find that when it's when it's available for her right but there's enough incremental gains Um, And I think that's where a lot of freedom comes from the energy medicine piece that, oh, I don't have to figure anything out intellectually. And if we don't have to figure anything out intellectually, it kind of can take a lot of the weight and the pressure off of healing. Um, You know, my work, in fact, there's a lot of levity. There's a lot of playfulness because, again my work isn't focused on the trauma. My work isn't focused on the pain. My work isn't focused on the wounding. My work is just focused on plugging us back into that innate wisdom, right? So people are finding a lot more lightness and levity and ease, um, you know, instead of having to kind of muscle their way through and, you know, dig themselves out of that hole, right? They're just finding themselves being lifted out of that hole.
1: Yeah, which is a wild experience. I think especially... Like you said, for leaders and entrepreneurs where muscling through or intellectual analysis were the superpowers, they got them where they're at. So to even have an experience of being held or of listening to themselves and to their bodies or of being able to be in that more surrender place is both terrifying and quite powerful to kind of defrost and melt away those deeply ingrained patterns.
2: And eventually, what feels terrifying, you know, in the, the beginning of that process starts to feel just, just right and starts to feel like at home. And at that point, then we've kind of re, remodeled our entire sense of self, right? And we're no longer holding identity in this fixed, you know, limited way. We're starting to experience ourselves as more dynamic, you know, as change, as fluid. And there's a lot of ease. There's a lot of growth and, you know, uh, and ever expanding awareness that emerges from that
1: place. Mm-hmm. could have said it better myself. So as we're wrapping up here, Greg, can you let people know where they can find more information about you, how they might contact you and learn more about your work and the Prisma Method?
2: Yeah. So prismamethod.com. If you want to just learn more about the course, gregwhiting.com. There's information about the course there, but you can learn more about me, my background, um, you know, where I've spoken, um, learn more about my one-on-one work. um, And yeah, if you want to schedule a call, it all starts with a conversation. You know, I want to get to know where folks are at, where they'd like to be, you know, the challenges they're struggling with, what they've tried, what's worked, what hasn't, you know, what the vision they have for themselves and their lives is. Um, And we kind of get to suss out if, you know, we a good fit. You know, I, I'm all about creating win wins and I get to wake up each day and I'm like thrilled to have the conversations I'm having with my clients because we're creating, you know, really generative, nourishing possibilities. And, you know, I want success for my clients first and foremost. So um, we're sussing out if we are a good team for that. And if we're not, I'm going to refer you to who, who, who can help you get to where you need to be. Because If it's not me, I don't want you on my schedule because that's not gonna be fun for either of us, right? Mm -hmm. Then neither of us succeed. So I'm all about win-wins.
1: That's great, I love to hear that. And yeah, if you're listening, reach out to him. I mean, you seem like a fantastic guy. I love the work that you're doing. I think it's so necessary and so critical. Thank you so much for joining me on this week. And we'll see you next week, another episode of From the Ashes.
0: Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.